Chapter 2 White Face Staring Through Snow Lormia was famous for her great rivers. It was her rivers that had helped make her rich and had kept her strong. After three days travelling, when a light snow had begun to drift from the sky, Elric and Moonglum rode out of the hills and saw before them the foaming waters of the Schlan River, tributary of the Zafra Trepak, which flowed from beyond Eosas down to the sea at Trepasas. No ships sailed the Schlan at this point, for there were rapids and huge waterfalls every few miles. But at the old town of Stagasas, where, built where the Schlan joins the Zafra Trepek, Elric planned to send Moonglum into town and buy a small boat in which they could sail up the Zafra Trepek to Eosas, where Theleb Ka'ana was almost certain to be. They followed the banks of the Schlan now, riding hard and hoping to reach the outskirts of the town before nightfall. They rode past fishing villages and the houses of minor nobles. They were occasionally hailed by friendly fishermen who trawled the quieter reaches of the river, but they did not stop. The fishermen were typical of the area, with ruddy features and huge curling moustaches, dressed in heavily embroidered linen smocks and leather boots that reached almost to their thighs. Men who in past times had ever been ready to lay down their nets, pick up swords and halberds and mount horses to go to the defence of their homeland. Well, could we not borrow one of their boats, Moonglum suggested. But Elric shook his head. The fishermen of the Schlan are well known for their gossiping. The news of our presence might well precede us and warn Teobkana. He seemed needlessly cautious. I have lost him too often. More rapids came in sight. Great black rocks glistened in the gloom and roaring water rushed over them, sending spray high into the air. There were no houses or villages here, and the paths behind his side the banks were narrow and treacherous, so that Elric and Moonglum were forced to slow their pace and make their way with caution. Moonglum shouted over the noise of the water, We'll not reach Stagasas by nightfall now. Elric nodded. We'll make camp below the rapids. There. The snow was still falling and the wind drove it against their faces, so that it became even more difficult to pick their way along the narrow track that now wound high above the river. But at last the tumult began to die and the track widened out, and the rivers calmed and with relief they looked about them over the plain to find a likely camping place. It was Moonglum who saw them first. His finger was unsteady as he pointed into the sky towards the north. Auric, what make you of those? Auric looked up into the lowering sky, brushing snowflakes from his face. His expression was at first puzzled. His brow furrowed and his eyes narrowed. Black shapes against the sky. Winged shapes. It was impossible at this distance to judge their scale, but they did not fly the way birds fly. Alric was reminded of another flying creature, a creature he had last seen when he and the sea lords fled burning Imrir and the folk of Malnibane had released their vengeance upon the reavers.
that vengeance had taken two forms. The first form had been the golden battle barges which had waited for the attacks as they left the ruined, dreaming city. The second form had been the great dragons of the bright empire. And those creatures in the distance had something of the look of dragons. Had the Malnabonaeans discovered a means of waking the dragons before the end of their normal sleeping time? Had they unleashed their dragons to seek out Elric, who had slain his own kin, betrayed his own unhuman kind in order to have revenge on his cousin Urkun, who had usurped Elric's place on the ruby throne of Imrir? By now Elric's expression hardened into a grim mask. His crimson eyes shone like polished rubies. His left hand fell upon the hilt of his great black battle blade, the rune-sword Stormbringer, and he controlled a rising sense of horror. For now, in mid-air, the shapes had changed. No longer did they have the appearance of dragons, but this time they seemed to be like multicoloured swans whose gleaming feathers caught and diffracted the few remaining rays of light. Moonglum gasped as they came nearer. They are huge! Draw your sword, friend Moonglum. Draw them now and pray to whatever gods rules over Elfwear, for these are creatures of sorcery. They are doubtless sent by Thaleb Ka'ana to destroy us. My respect for the conjurer increases. What are they, Elric? Creatures of chaos. In Maldimine they are called the Unai. They can change shape at will. A sorcerer of great mental discipline, of superlative powers who knows the apposite spells, can master them, determine their appearance. Some of my ancestors could do such things, but I thought no mere conjurer of Pantang could master the Shemire. Do you know no spell to counter them? When none comes readily to mind. Only a lord of chaos such as my patron demon Arioch could dismiss them. Moonglum shuddered. Well then call your Arioch, I beg you. Auric darted a half-demused glance at Moonglum. These creatures must fill you with great fear indeed if you are prepared to entertain the presence of Arioch, Master Moonglum. Moonglum drew his long curved sword. Perhaps they have no business with us, he suggested. Perhaps it is as well to be prepared. Auric smiled. Aye. Then Moonglum drew his straight sword, curling his horse's reins around his arm. A shrill, cackling sound from the skies. The horses pawed at the ground. The cackling grew louder. The creatures opened their beaks and called to one another. And it was plain now that they were indeed something other than gigantic swans, for they had curling tongues, and there were slim, sharp fangs bristling in those beaks. They changed direction slightly, winging straight for the two men. Elric flung back his head and drew out his great sword and raised it skyward. It pulsed and moaned, and a strange black radiance poured from it, casting peculiar shadows over its owner's blanched features. The Shazarian horse screamed and reared, and words began to pour from Elric's tormented face. Arioch, 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 Lord of the Seven Darks, Duke of Chaos, aid me. Aid me now, Arioch. 
Moonglime's own horse had backed away in a panic, and the little man was having great difficulty in controlling it. His own features were almost as pale as Elric's. Ariok! Overhead, the Shemire began to circle. Ariok, blood and souls if you will aid me now. Then, some yards away, a dark mist seemed to well up from nowhere. It was a boiling mist that had strange, disgusting shapes in it. Ariok. The mist seemed to grow still thicker. Ariok, I beg you, aid me now. The horse pawed at the air, snorting and screaming, its eyes rolling, its nostrils flaring. Yet Elric, his lips curled back over his teeth so that he looked like a rabid wolf, continued to keep his seat as the dark mist quivered and a strange, unearthly face appeared in the upper part of the shifting column. It was a face of wonderful beauty, of absolute evil. Moonglum turned his head away, unable to regard it. A sweet, sibilant voice issued from the mottled mouth. The mist swirled languidly, becoming a mottled scarlet laced with emerald green. Greetings, Elric said the face. Greetings, most beloved of my children. Aid me, Arioch. Ah, said the face, its tone full of rich regret. That cannot be. You must aid me. The Shemire had hesitated in their descent, citing the peculiar mist. It's impossible. Oh, Sweetest of my slaves, there are other matters afoot in the realm of chaos. Matters of enormous moment, of which you shall hear in time. I offer only my blessings, and hope that you shall live to serve chaos in some form, if not your present one. Ariok, I beg thee. Remember your oath to chaos, and remain loyal to us in spite of all. Farewell, Elric. And the dark mist vanished. And the Shemire came closer. And Elric drew a racking breath while the rune sword whined in his hand and quivered and its radiance dimmed a little. Moonglum spat on the ground. A powerful patron, Elric, but a damned incon inconstant one. Then he flung himself from the saddle as the creature, which changed its shape a dozen times as it arrowed towards him, reached out huge claws which clashed in the air where he had been. The riderless horse reared again, striking out at the beast of chaos. A fanged snout snapped. Blood vomited from the place where the horse's head had been, and the carcass kicked once more before falling to the ground to pour more gore into the greedy earth. Bearing the remains of the head in what was a, first a scaled snout, then a beak, then a shark-like mouth, the unai thrashed back into the air. Moonglum picked himself up. His eyes contemplated nothing but his own imminent destruction. Elric too leapt from his horse and slapped its flank so that convulsively it began to gallop all the way towards the river, another Shemire following it. This time the flying thing seized the horse's body and claws which suddenly sprouted from its feet. The horse struggled to get free, threatening to break its own backbone in its struggles. But it could not. 
the Chimera flapped towards the clouds with its catch. Snow fell thicker now, but Elric and Moonglum were oblivious of it as they stood together and awaited the next attack of the Unai. Moonglum said quietly, Is there no other spell you know, friend Elric? The albino shook his head. Nothing specific to deal with these. The Unai always served the folk of Melnibane. They never threatened us, so we needed no spell against them. I am trying to think. The Shimere cackled and yelled in the air above the two men's heads. Then another broke away from the pack and dived to the earth. They attack individually, Elric said in a somewhat detached tone, as if studying insects in a bottle. They never attack in a pack. I know not why. The Unai had settled on the ground and it had now assumed the shape of an elephant with the huge head of a crocodile. Ugh, not an aesthetic combination, said Elric. The ground shook as it charged towards them. They stood shoulder to shoulder as it approached. It was almost upon them, and at the last moment they divided, Elric throwing himself to one side and Moonglum to the other. The Chimera passed between them and Elric struck at the thing's side with his rune sword. The sword sang out almost lasciviously as it bit deep into the flesh, which instantly changed and became a dragon-dripping, flaming venom from its fangs. But it was badly wounded. Blood ran from the deep wound, and the Chimera screamed and changed shape again and again, as if seeking some form in which the wound could not exist. Black blood now burst from its side, as if the strain of many changes had ruptured its body all the more. It fell to its knees, and the luster faded from its feathers, died from its scales, disappeared from its skin. It kicked out once, and then was still. A heavy, black, pig-like creature, whose lump and body was the ugliest Elric or Moonglum had ever seen. Moonglum grunted. It's not hard to understand why such a creature would want to change its form. He looked up. Another was descending. This had the appearance of a whale with wings, but with curved fangs like those of a stomach fish, and a tail like an enormous corkscrew. Even as it had landed, it had changed shape again. Now it had assumed human form. A huge, beautiful figure, twice as tall as Elric. It was naked and perfectly proportioned, but its stare was vacant, had the drooling lips of an idiot child. Lithely, it ran at them, its huge hands reaching out to grasp them as a child might reach for a toy. This time Elric and Moonglum struck together, one at each hand. Moonglum's sharp sword cut the knuckles deeply, and Elric lopped off two fingers before the Unai altered its shape again and began first to be an octopus, then a monstrous tiger, then a combination of both until at last it was a rock in which a fissure grew to reveal white snapping teeth. Gasping, the two men waited for it to resume the attack. At the base of the rock some blood was oozing. This put a thought into Elric's mind. With a sudden yell he leapt forward raised his sword over his head and brought it down on the top of the rock, splitting it in twain. 
Something like a laugh issued from the black sword then, and the sundered shape flickered and became another of the pig-like creatures. This was completely cut in two, its blood and its entrails spreading themselves upon the ground. Then, through the snowy dusk, another of the Unai came down, its body like glowing orange, its shape that of a winged snake with a thousand rippling coils. Alric struck at the coils, but they moved too rapidly. The other Shemire had been watching his tactics with their dead companions, and they now had gauged the skill of their victims. Almost immediately, Elric's arms were pinned to his side by the coils, and he found himself being borne upward as a second Shemira with the same shape rushed down on Moonglum to seize him in an identical way. Elric prepared to die as the horses had died. He prayed that he would die swiftly and not slowly at the hands of Theleb Ka'ana, who had promised him a slow death. The scaly wings flapped powerfully. No snout came down to snap his head off. He felt despair as he realised that he and Moonglum were being carried swiftly northward over the great Lord Mirian's steppe. Doubtless, Theleb Ka'ana awaited them at the end of their journey. <laughs>